Hello and welcome to the Tuesday, January 31st, 2023 episode of the Musical Universe of Professor Hurst. This is Craig W. Hurst, Emeritus Professor of Music, podcasting from my music bunker, along with my faithful canine companion, Carmel the Wonder Dog, to share with you my latest musical interests and discoveries. I claim no special inside information about the latest or greatest music, nor do I know everything there is to know about music. What I am is a lover of music. I enjoy several genres of music, and I share with you what has currently caught my interest, old, new, outdated, and everything in between. Even old music is brand new if you have never heard it before. The universe of music is a vast one to enjoy. From my discussions, you might find something new to you and of interest to expand your own musical universe. I currently receive no compensation or motivation of any kind from any recording label, recording artist, or the estate of any performer or composer dead and gone to discuss their music and or recordings. Now with that out of the way, welcome to my musical universe. My guest today is New York City-based jazz trombonist, educator, and composer, Mariel Bilston. Mariel currently works as a band leader and sidewoman playing in jazz, big bands, and small groups, as well as Afro-Latin music, rock, funk, and R&B bands. She is the lead trombonist in Arturo O'Farrell's Afro-Latin Jazz Orchestra. She has performed at Jazz at Lincoln Center, Carnegie Hall, Radio City Music Hall, London's O2 Arena, and the Apollo Theater, among other venues and festivals. Mariel has also performed alongside Jennifer Hudson, Dee Dee Bridgewater, Roy Hargrove, Wycliffe Gordon, Brian Lynch, Cyrus Chestnut, and Frank Lacey. Her own groups, ranging from duo to septet, have headlined jazz festivals, played around the country, and performed regularly in New York City. Her debut quintet record, Backbone, released in 2020, received rave reviews. It is my pleasure to welcome to my musical universe, Mariel Bilston. Hello, Mariel. Hi, Craig. It's really great to have the opportunity to talk with you. I've really been looking forward to having you as a guest uh, on my uh, podcast, and uh, so very much looking forward to today's uh, visit. Uh, you know, you've done a great deal of performing as a side woman in a number of different jazz groups, and also as a leader of your own group. Yeah. Um, would you please talk about how the demands made upon you as a musician may vary depending on the playing situation you are involved? In other words, the demands of when you are a leader versus as a side person. Absolutely. Um, there are a ton of differences, and I feel really grateful that I have opportunities to do both 
because I think that they really inform each other. Um, so as a band leader, I'm always thinking, okay, if I were a side person, what would I need in order to have a good time or to be able to be prepared or, um, you know, anything that people need, I think is, you know, it's important to put yourself in inside people's shoes. And I know what it takes to, to have a good time as a side person, um, to feel appreciated and that I'm, you know, that it's all going well. And so they are very different skill sets though, being a side man and a band leader. Um, I guess I'll talk about being a side person first, um, cause that's where I started. Um, mm -hmm. and I mean, for me, it looks like just in, in all situations, you have to listen so much, but I think as a side person, just really listening to, um, the leader and making you know, musically and making sure that you're blending in with whatever's happening and really being, um, sort of empathetic, like musically empathetic to whatever's going on, um, being a great reader, right. Just being able to read, mm -hmm. like, especially as a big band side person, that's most of what you're doing, um, is reading and interacting with the band in that way. And so I think, and then being a great improviser, being on time, um, you know, wearing the right clothes for the gig, um, just all of these things that sort of make you a reliable professional is what is, you know, what it takes to be a great side person. Um, and on top of that, being a great musician who plays in tune and can read and improvise and do all the things. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, I think it's really a different attitude where you're just trying to help the band get to where it needs to be musically. And mm -hmm. so you're just a team member. Um, and it's a real treat to be able to do that and to have our opportunities to play with different band leaders and everyone needs something different and runs mm -hmm. the band differently. And so for me, it's just a great practice of noticing those things and sort of figuring out, okay, how can I fit in here or how can I be helpful? Um, and often it <laughs> means playing less, not more, which is something I've found. Mm -hmm. um, so that's the sideman stuff. And then as a band leader, um, I mean, I am still really figuring it out. I think it's the thing that I'm the most passionate about and the mm -hmm. most excited about in my career is my bands and um, pushing those forward. And what that takes, I mean, I'm learning that <laughs> a lot these days, especially, but um, just being really organized and having a clear vision, having excellent taste in music, because you're the one that's picking things and composing things and arranging things. Um, being an encouraging person to be around, right? Where people want to play in your band because um, you allow people to be themselves, right? And mm -hmm. I think that's been such a good thing that, you know, some feedback that I've gotten as a band leader is that my band is happy because they can really play like themselves when they're in my band. And that to me is like a, such an honor that they get, that they feel comfortable to do that and that I'm not putting them in any sort of box. Um, mm -hmm. So that's something I think about a lot is how can I create space? How can I create a situation in which everyone with their different, you know, they've had a different type of day than someone else, or they've had different experiences. And how can I create a place where everyone's voice can be heard um, and they can really express themselves in the way they want, they want to. So, and then I'm just kind of directing traffic from there, you know? Mm -hmm. sure. um, 
So there's such different skills. And then on the other side of it is like all this business stuff of like emails (laughs) and booking and contracts and um, negotiating good rates for gigs and all of this stuff that um, Mm -hmm. definitely not my strong suit, but just that I'm really working on. Um, So yeah, they're very different sort of mindsets and things, but I think that they really, I'm, I'm just happy that I'm able to do both because they definitely inform each other. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's a, it's a always kind of a different uh, kind of uh, experience. I, I think, uh, and certainly disagree with me if you, if you do, I think when you go in as a side person, you can be a little more relaxed, a little more, for sure. And focus more on having fun. Whereas, in a, you know, like say, when you're a leader, you're, you're worried about a 10 million different things, you know, uh, is the club owner happy? Is the audience liking what we're doing? Are the yeah. other guy, are the other people in the band, are they digging the charts that we're playing? Are they having an enjoyable experience? You know, this sort of thing. And I, I hear you. I, you know, because I experience those, of course, on a much smaller dimension than you do, because I'm not a full time professional musician. I have bands that I front, go out and play, you know, and, and mostly it's, uh, you know, there isn't anybody I play with or play for. Well, okay, play for maybe that really make their living as a playing professional musician. I mean, yeah. where we are certainly uh uh you know it's it's a little more a little more different um but there's a a couple of things that you said that really resonated with me i had an interview several weeks ago with a saxophonist by the name of patrick cornelius Hmm. Uh, i don't know if you know patrick he's in new york and and uh it plays i think he plays alto primarily and and uh but he made a really great comment that uh i've used when i'm with my students or uh any of the community groups that i work with and he talked about he said when i first started out i used to listen to myself mostly and what sound i was making he yeah. said, but as I matured as a musician, I found that I put my focus on listening to others right. and then putting my fitting my part into the into the puzzle. And I, I kind of picked up on that from your comments. That's what kind of made the light bulb go on that I, you know, one of the things as an educator I find in working with ensembles mm-hmm. is teaching people to listen louder than they play yeah uh because less mature musicians tend to be so focused on just themselves and and worrying about are they playing the right notes and rhythms and things and and uh uh so i run into that a lot with my community groups yeah and and the leadership thing i can't i think one of the best compliments i've had in the last week or so is one of the guy one of the guys in my my eight-piece band he said to me, he said, you know, I really love what we're playing. And he said, this is exactly the kind of thing I want to do. Yeah. And I just thought, oh, that's great. Because that's what I want to do. I want to go out and have fun. Totally. I, I choose charts that I think are, are important parts of the repertoire. Uh, if they're, you know, not my originals or whatever. Well, I don't write any originals, actually. I write original arrangements. But things that are important parts of the repertoire, but things that are also going to be fun to play. 
and uh you know and that's gonna really knock over a, an audience so yeah i hear you on that level as well and yeah. and what a pain in the you know and i i the other thing about informing each other you know we all know that when we're leaders there's always some time there's always pain in the neck things okay. and sometimes they're created by people <laughs> oh yeah Big time. So as a leader, I know the things that are a pain in the neck to me, I avoid like the plague when I'm playing for somebody else. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, all those things that you mentioned, showing up on time, wearing the right, uh, you know, apparel, uh, you know, just taking care of business and uh, all those things are so, so important. But Absolutely. Uh, and I think that, you know, as um, we get better and are able to do bigger things, those mm -hmm. things you know, you just don't want to have to worry about that. You know, you don't want to have to worry is so-and-so going to show up, right? Like I just <laughs> don't, <laughs> I have way bigger things to worry about at a certain point. And so, mm -hmm. yeah, it makes things um, much easier. I, I can't do this alone. You know, mm -hmm. no one wants to hear solo trombone. I don't want to listen to solo trombone. <laughs> and I think that, you know, it's so important to have a good team and to delegate and to also create, um, you know, an environment where people are happy to put their input in and, um, and speak up and be, you know, and to, to share their opinions on the music and to make it so that we can make it better together, you know, and I think that I feel so lucky to have relationships with musicians that are like yeah. that. And, um, you know, it's just great it, that that when things are happening like that, I'm really happy and Oh, I, I hear you a hundred percent. You yeah. know, whenever I, when, when we have a, a, get a gig and I put the set list together, I'll always send it out well in advance. And, uh, and I'll say anybody that has any suggestions for changes, yeah. you know, and, or if there's anything I've overlooked, or if I, you think there's something I've done, that's kind of like dumb. Like, did I put two ballads back to back or something like that? You know, don't hesitate to say something because, because, uh, you know, I, with you, I like to make it, everybody chime in, let's all work together and make it, make it really great. So, yeah. I often, you know, I, yes, I'm the person in charge, but I don't always know best. I just exactly. Don't. I'm always going to make a mistake. I also hire, um, like some of the best musicians in the world and they know yeah. so much. And I, that's what makes it a great team is that people know different things. And so mm -hmm. like I, the minute I'm a know-it-all, everyone's screwed because then it's not going to be as good. You know, you so got just, it. Yeah. Yep. I tell my, I tell my bands, I say, look, anytime I, if I ever get to the point where I say, you know, I know it all and I've got the only answer, please, please just put a pillow over my face and, <laughs> yeah. and yeah, because I don't, I don't want to be that. And I, and I kind of joke about it. The, one of the community concert bands I direct has a lot of former school band directors in it. And I always, you know, so I get plenty of suggestions sure. about how to do certain pieces and so on. But I, I, I kind of make a, 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 well, I don't make light of it, I sort of make light of it. I refer to them as my advisory committee, you know, yeah. to the other band members that are just uh, regular B flat people, you know, uh, and not, uh, not uh, educators or professionals in any way. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, that's what kind of makes it fun. Well, let's go all the way back. Uh, Cause this, I always, I'm always interested in everybody's origin story. Sure. So what turned the light on for you? 
what turned you on to music? Um, I had a really, I have a very musical grandmother um, who's my dad's mother and she was a great piano player and sang in church and um, did all that. My parents were not particularly musical, um, but whenever I was with her, we would sing songs and um, kind of dance around as, as just as a small child, you know? Um, and I always loved kind of to dance and to sing and to be goofy and be sort of an entertainer. I feel like I'm the family's entertainer. Um, and when I was 10, I picked up the trombone um, for no particular reason other than that my two best friends were also in elementary school band. Mm -hmm. And so it was just an excuse to be able to hang out with them. So I didn't care about trombone. I didn't care about being in the band, but it was just something that gave me an excuse to hang out with them more. Mm -hmm. And uh, they needed a trombone player in the band. That's why I picked. And I had played, I'd taken piano lessons for three years prior and really hated it. I had a very like strict teacher, you know, we were going through the books and it was just totally not for me. Um, anyway, fast forward a couple of years, I'm playing trombone very casually, never practicing, maybe picking up the horn once a week in band practice. And then it was sitting in the case the rest of the week. And I, um, I finally got a trombone teacher who gave me a mix CD of JJ Johnson and Frank Rosalino and Carl Fontana. Mm. And I remember putting it on and being like, holy shit, this is what, mm -hmm. trombone, this is what trombone can sound like. Right. Cause I just had no reference for mm -hmm. this awful clunky bad sounding instrument on you know on my that I was playing <laughs> and so it just was so inspiring to hear particularly JJ Johnson um and he just I think just listening to his records just got me so excited of oh wow okay I can sort of imagine the possibilities of what this instrument can sound like because right now it sounds quite bad um mm -hmm. in my world and so mm -hmm. that was one big moment um another moment was going to the city college that is in town so I grew up in Santa Barbara California mm -hmm. and all of the public schools had great music programs um but I think when you are a kid and you're in a band with other kids who are maybe your level it's not the most inspiring thing until you're playing with people that are better than you. Um, mm -hmm. And so I went to the city college. It was like a six week jazz program, a few hours a day. And the city college was amazing because anyone can show up of all ages. So you can mm -hmm. be 80 or eight and show up mm -hmm. and, and, and be a part of this. And there were just some incredible musicians there. And I couldn't, again, it was just this thing of, wow, okay, I've been doing this, but this is what's possible this sound is what's possible and people are really willing to share and to teach and to engage with me in this. And so, you know, I've had many aha moments in my life where mm -hmm. things looked in a certain way, or I, I, I felt like, okay, cool. I'm kind of on the right track. Um, but those were two kind of big moments as a young person, just starting out that were incredibly helpful and just kind of showed me what was possible. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's, 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 you know, that's a really interesting kind of uh, story in that I, uh, you know, I, my background is music education. So I've taught everything from sixth grade up through university. Yeah. And when I spent where I spent the bulk of my career 
was in uh, Wisconsin at uh, what they call the University of Wisconsin Colleges, which are all two-year campuses. Mm. We're not community colleges. We're not junior colleges. We're actually freshman, sophomore transfer institutions because we only do liberal arts and, and, and that. There's a separate tech college system in Wisconsin that's also two-year schools, and I know in other, other states. But um, my concert band, and they still allow me to conduct it, even though I'm retired from full-time teaching, I still do the concert band at the campus. But for years, when I was there and I would have students come to me and they and I'd say, yeah, well, our band is a community band. In other mm -hmm. words, you're probably going to be sitting in a section with someone who's old enough to be your parent or grandparent. Yeah. Yeah. I said, but you are going to get the best education you can get because you're going to be sitting in a section with someone who's, who's going to play a lot better than you. Yeah. And you're going to learn that lesson about music, playing music is really lifelong Absolutely. because you've got these people that are, you know, and I, I also direct a band that's sponsored by the New Horizons Music International Music Association. Mm -hmm. And that band is primarily for older adults. I mean, yeah. I'm 68, 67, almost 68. And a lot of the people in that band think I'm a kid. You know, because they're in their 70s and 80s, but yeah. they're still playing. They're still coming every week. And, and whenever I've been interviewed about why I direct this band, I says it's simple. It's the power of music. It's the power of music to, to, to keep you going and keep you mentally strong and that sort of thing. But uh, I know from personal experience as well that the, the community colleges in California, many of them have very strong music programs. Yeah. Be, and uh, I remember back in um, the late 70s, going to the Orange Coast Jazz Festival down at Orange Coast College, mm -hmm. uh, down in Costa Mesa. And uh, they had a very strong, you know, program, and it was a two-year campus. Yeah. And uh, uh, so you're right, you get in that different environment, and you learn what's possible, and you go, wow. I didn't know any, you could do that on that horn, but I really got to ask you at 10 years old, how did you make six position? I didn't. <laughs> yeah. 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 yeah I, I have about five and a half, you know, and then you just grow into the instrument. I, yeah, I know. I've been very <laughs> facetious. It's crazy, but yeah. Yeah. I, I used to, we used to, I used to, I always used to kid. I used to start when I taught, uh, when I taught secondary school, I taught middle school in Texas for a while. And I would Ooh. start beginners in seventh grade. And, and some of the kids, you know, and I used to always tease the kids when I'd recruit them. I said, Oh, you want to play trombone? Well, let's see, we better measure your right arm, you know, and, and, and get them started and, and, yeah. and so forth. And, uh, but you also mentioned, uh, you know, three of my favorite trombone players, and I, I never did see J.J. Uh, Johnson live, but I have seen Frank Rossellino. He was at one year when I was at the, yeah, when we were at the, uh, uh, so when I was in college and we took our uh, college band from Boise State down to the Orange Coast Jazz Festival. And uh, Frank Rossellino was there and, and, uh, and uh, man, he just, what a player. 
I mean, he just, yeah. just, just was awesome. And he had such that wonderful, silky, smooth, like how could he, you know, and then on the other side of the coin, it was in that same trip. We were coming down from Idaho. I'm originally from Idaho and we were traveling and we went through Las Vegas on our way to Southern California. Mm-hmm. And we're there in Las Vegas. And our director says, Hey, I just read an article that Carl Fontana is appearing at this little club in Vegas. I said, you guys want to, we got to go hear him. And we did. It was a little, little club and went and heard uh, Carl Fontana live. And the way he articulates his doodle tugging and how he gets around on the horn has always fascinated me. And I've always loved to listen to him play. So, uh, and uh, of course, JJ, I've never, never been with Jay, but I did, did play with Kai Winding one time. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, so of course, and he talked, I remember he, this is when I was also in my early days of college. Right? And he would talk a lot about the collaborations that he did with J.J. Johnson. So that's, uh, yeah, that's cool. That's cool. That would get anybody's up and going. Totally. For sure. Totally. For sure. No, just that sound and the way he was phrasing things and it just felt so good. I mean, his rhythm section is just incredible. And so just, yeah, understanding and hear, not even understanding it at the time, but just hearing it and being like, wow, what the hell is this? This is awesome. Um, exactly. So exactly. Okay. Yeah. Well, and I have to tell, I have to be real honest with you. I, I'm slightly jealous of trombones, trombone players. Why is that? Well, because, you know, all right. So I'm a trumpet player. Yeah. So, you know, we have that very delicate ego, you know, and and we focus on that holy trinity of louder, higher, faster. Right. (laughs) But trombone has such a wider range because, I mean, all right. I remember when I first heard Bill Watrous Mm. and he was he was playing and he came in. He came in his solo. He came in on an E flat above the treble staff. Yeah. Okay. He was in the trumpet register yeah. and, and then went down from there. And of course he did, he could do just about anything. Uh, and I think about like trombone choirs and the beautiful range and coverage that, that you can get with that sound. Yeah. We do have trumpet choirs, but it's just not quite the same because we oh. don't have the low end to give that fullness and richness of sound. And, and so I've always kind of been jealous a little bit in that way of, of trombone, trombone players. But I, I get over it when I say, look, I got vowels. I can go really fast this way. You know, <laughs> you've, you've, you've got it made in other, in other ways. I, yeah, I have, um, I've fallen in love more and more with, with trombone as, as I've gotten older and as I've gotten mm-hmm. better at it too. I mean, uh-huh. I in the beginning, it feels so brutal. I think yeah. the beginning feels the same way. Any brass instrument, it just sounds bad for years. Um, <laughs> until you, I remember like one mo- one day I was practicing, I was in high school um, and like my tone just finally like cleared, you know, mm-hmm. like, oh, okay, here we are finally. Um, but yeah, the thing that I love about the trombone is it's so similar to the voice, right? We don't have Bingo. buttons. Um, so it, it's just such an expressive instrument and you can do so much with it. And yeah, it's, it's just a beautiful thing. I really yeah. Love it. yeah. 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 I agree. I, I, that's, that's one of the reasons I'm just, a, just a tad jealous of trombone players, you know, yeah, but, really. uh, you know, like I said, I, 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 you know, we, we worked together. I even went as far as I bought a, uh, 
well, I don't know if you want to call it a soprano trombone or a slide trumpet. Oh, yeah, slide trumpet. You know, yeah. because cool. I wanted to, uh, you know, kind of experiment a little bit with that and and and, and enjoy it. But it's still, of course, you're not going to get the, the bottom end. So that's yeah. really kind of cool. All right. Well, that also really covers a lot what would have been my next question, which was about, uh, well, the trombone. But what turned you on to jazz? Um. I think the feeling of it was something that really excited me. Um, okay. I love swing music. Um, and I think that it really changes rooms. Um, you know, when you put on a jazz record, it has such a strong effect on the environment that you're in, mm -hmm. the atmosphere it creates. Um, and I've just always been drawn to that sound. I just think mm -hmm. it's so infectious and so um important also like historically um and yeah I just I've just always I just fell in love with it I mean I, I don't mm -hmm. know most I mean I I feel this way about a lot of forms of American music but um but yeah jazz I think when I got to New York I so I was super into like avant-garde uh groups so like groups like the SF Jazz Collective oh, or sure. like Dave Holland stuff with Robin Eubanks. And when I was young, I was like, that's what I want to do, you know, um, that were maybe more kind of straight, straight eighths based music, um, not as swingy. Mm -hmm. And when I moved to New York, um, I, there's so much swing music here. I mean, there's so much of everything here, there's sure. so different subgenres and each genre has like a whole pool of amazing musicians in it. Um, but I was particularly around, like hanging out with people who were playing a lot of swing music. And it was amazing to see that it was music that people were partying to, that people were listening to until 3 a.m. Mm -hmm. um, and I was like, oh, wow, I see how this functions, right? Whereas before, maybe I thought that when I was playing Count Basie charts in high school, that this was my grandparents' music. When I moved to New York, I had this kind of aha moment of, oh, actually, this is incredibly current and relevant. Mm -hmm. And I can see how it affects people and makes people want to dance and want to move and have a conversation and all of that. And so um, that was a big aha moment, you know, another one of these moments where I just kind of got it more. Um, mm -hmm. and I, not that I could necessarily do it at that point, but I could see how it worked. Um, mm -hmm. So yeah, I think just being around it and yeah, seeing how it changes things. That sounds, that sounds right. You're going right into my wheelhouse. I've, I, you know, a yeah. lot of times I've explained to students when I've either taught uh, music preach or jazz history and they'll say, well, what is the big deal with jazz? I said, jazz is an insouciant elegant music with urban sophistication <laughs> and 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 you won't you know and while you know country music is fun and uh the blues has also got a great groove it's just not quite the same and there's that certain uh sophistication because it is a very sophisticated music absolutely i'm not just uh you know the people that that tend to gravitate towards jazz but the music itself is usually uh harmonically much more complex and and sometimes rhythmically more complex than say other kinds of music um 
but uh yeah there's that there's a certain uh something about the music that i've always found attractive that i always felt like i was uh cool <laughs> because yeah. i was listening to jazz you know or whatever i yeah, guess we'll it's so special because it was created by true geniuses. I mean, yeah. when I think about people like Bud Powell and Thelonious Monk and Dizzy Gillespie and Charlie Parker and Louis Armstrong and Melba Liston and Lil Hardin and Ella, I mean, every one of those musicians were absolute geniuses at what they do mm -hmm. and absolute innovators. They were creating something new and yep. it, um, I think every era of music has that. Mm -hmm. um, and it's kind of the inevitable human experience is that we evolve and we change and we develop what's already there and create it into something new. But just to celebrate the genius of those musicians, I think it's a really, um, and to honor them in that way, I think it's a really special thing that we get mm -hmm. to, that we get to do, right? Um, yeah, no, I, I hear you. I understand. I mean, you yeah. talked about playing Basie charts and thinking that, oh, this is my grandparents' music. Yeah. I, I, uh, I'm good friends with uh, Frank Green, who's uh, who's a, uh, often called upon lead player in New York. And, yeah, he's amazing. And uh, we, Frank and I went to North Texas together for a while. And uh, so when I'm talking to Frank, I said, man, you play with a lot of different big bands. So which, uh, which book is the most challenging to play? For lead trumpet, because he this was not long after he was named the new lead trumpet player for the the Basie band, mm. <clears throat> and he said definitely the Basie book, mm. and and I said really, and he said yes because of the tradition associated, yeah, with the sound, and and you think about previous lead players from from that band, you know, and and you have a certain tradition there. I mean, if you don't play April in Paris the right way, people will know it. Totally. You know, yeah. because that's so often associated or one o'clock jump, you know, those are all very much associated with Basie and that particular sound of the band. And, uh, and it's exciting to hear when they, when they, you know, they're still touring. I can't remember when it was. I last heard them live. It's probably mm -hmm. been 10 years ago or so, but, and it was still at, still that thrill to, to hear what they, what they can do. Mm -hmm. Uh, so yeah, I, I'm I'm with you there. I think that that wonderful tradition and like you said, the privilege and opportunity to to as best. I don't know if we recreate it or we pay uh, homage to it. I think that's more like it because I can't be Louis Armstrong. I can play, I can play the opening solo to West End Blues, but I can't play it the way Louis Armstrong plays it. It's right. just that you're not him. Yeah, because I'm not him. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And that will so, always be true. I think, you know, it's, it's, it, we're only a product of all our influences from our whole life, right? Mm -hmm. Musically and otherwise. Um, and I think, you know, it's, it's not that we are recreating what they've done, but it's that maybe we're putting our own spin on it or that we get to stand on their shoulders and keep it going, you know, mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. however best we can. And that their, their experiences and their history and their music informs what we do now. And I think that that's such a, um, a treat to be able to dig into and to, um, there's so much to learn there. I mean, it's endless. Um, it's endless school 
for me. <laughs> um, no, I, I, you know, it's one of the reasons I love music. I, you know, it's, it's a double-edged sword. It's frustrating because you're never going to know it all, but yeah. it's wonderful because you've always got something new to learn. Exactly. And so, and so you never run out of gas. You always wake up every day going, oh, here's a new band to discover. Here's a new beat to discover. Here's something new to learn about you know, this particular artist or that particular artist. And, and, and there's, uh, there's a, a bunch of things, but, you know, I have to think about a quote that Tony Bennett made one time. Mm. And it was, it was in the, uh, the Ken Burns documentary on jazz. And he was talking about American popular music. He was talking about specifically Louis Armstrong, just to kind of go back to, you know, the genius of, the, of these folks. Um, and he, Tony Bennett himself said, if you are not singing a song using Louis Armstrong's phrasing, you are not really singing American music. Mm. And I thought, especially coming from someone of his stature, that's a very powerful statement. Absolutely. Uh, and I, and I, and I, you know, and you think about all the singers that, that he would have influenced. Uh, uh, oh my gosh. I mean, you know, without Louis Armstrong, he wouldn't have had Billie Holiday right. and, uh, and and even Bing Crosby for that matter. But, but yeah, that's, that's a wonderful part of jazz and, and being part of the legacy as a turn on too. Yeah. You know, uh, when I used to, I would tell my students, I would say jazz has two traditions. You know, one, we've got all these, this body of tunes and some of them are older than dirt. We still play them. But the other part of the tradition is that when we do play them, there is a, uh, within the context of the performance, we are to create something completely new. Yeah. And you are creating the art in the moment. It's a performance art as well as a performing art. So, mm, I like yeah. That. Oh, you've really stimulated my thinking. Here, I'll <laughs> tell you, lots of good things. You too. But I'm curious to know, uh, you know, usually I ask uh, people, you know, what they think or how they feel about uh how jazz is different from, you know, other styles of music and they make really good comparisons between say jazz and classical music or jazz and, and uh, pop music. But I want to, I want to pin you down a little more specifically because you <laughs> mentioned that you were very much into the avant-garde scene yeah. at first and uh, uh, playing probably improvised music, although not swinging improvised music. Can you distinguish how jazz is different from say that, uh, that avant-garde improvisatory music? Sure. Um, you know, I, so first of all, I'm not an expert in either. So okay. well, <laughs> none, of us, none of us are. Um, I, so I think that um, the sort of avant-garde jazz or the more contemporary jazz that I was really into in high school was much more straight feeling rather than a swing feel. Um, much more um, parts of it were like choppier, maybe mm -hmm. um, more mixed meters, um, and this certain intensity that I really I, I really enjoy it now as well. Um, and there's a real you really feel like you don't know what's going to happen next, mm -hmm. and I think that that feeling is really a thrill both as someone playing it and being the improviser and the audience. And I think that there's so much value in that. Um, mm -hmm. I think that there is something about um, 
and again, this isn't always, but there's something about the beauty of swing music that really kind of brings me in and like the warmth of it um, really gets me excited to play it. And so that's sort of where I've found my niche or my, like the thing that I really love mm -hmm. is um, I think that what swing music does or what earlier styles of jazz do, or just, you know, anything that swings is that um, there's this warmth in the room mm -hmm. that I don't always feel with avant-garde music in the mm -hmm. same way. I think it's possible, but it's maybe less probable. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, okay. And so, yeah, I think that's the thing that really excites me is that the, um, I mean, it's all groove based, all of, all of this mm -hmm. music, but I feel like it's even more groovy and there's a real attention to quarter notes and a real, um, just beauty within that, that excites me. I think mm -hmm. that's, that's the thing. And there's a million different things that can distinguish and it all is on a, and that's the, the thing that's kind of funny to compare is like, it's all on a continuum. Um, they all inform, well, certainly the older style informs the newer style. So it's nothing's in a vacuum. Um, but I think that the swing music, it just makes me feel good. Mm -hmm. And I think that there's a lot to be said for that. Um, and that's just my kind of experience with it. Yeah. I, you know, I, I, I'm resonating a lot with what you're saying because that's, a, you know, I've done some avant-garde you know, kind of playing. I, I remember one time playing Terry Riley's in C mm. and uh, being a minimalist, Riley would write these uh, like two or four measure phraselets that uh, the rule of the game was you could repeat as many times as you wanted to. Mm -hmm. And you could play that over and over. But once you went on, you couldn't go back. Mm. So that eventually the piece would come to some kind of climax and conclusion but um uh but you know w w my ex experience yeah i would say yeah there's not quite the same warmth yeah that when i'm listening to uh i think the warmest jazz piece i can think of right now at this very moment is slide hampton's frame for the blues mm. and i don't think not maynard ferguson's version but the one that's coming to my mind right now is the one that was recorded by the tubist howard johnson yeah and and how that it was real down tempo but and real you know uh dark in terms of timbre because it was a tuba ensemble but it still had that wonderful enveloping swing feel to it yeah. even at a slow tempo and uh, yeah so i'm 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 with you there there's there's yeah. uh yeah totally. and i think there's a lot to be said for like your um or like my comfort level as an improviser too like mm -hmm. i have much more experience in the swing scene than i do mm -hmm. in the avant-garde scene so i think that i just like it more because i'm better at it yeah. i think when i'm in avant-garde situation or whatever more contemporary jazz situations i'm always like i don't know where i fit in to this and mm -hmm. I can kind of do it, but I never quite feel like, oh yeah, like this is my shit, you know? And so yeah. I think that you're naturally gonna gravitate towards the things that you like better. Um, yeah. And yeah, so that's just been yeah. nice of it. I, I, I hear what you're saying. I, I, you know, because there are people that like, like several, oh, it's been probably two, three months ago, I interviewed Ken Vandermark, who's mm -hmm. a, an avant-garde jazz 
saxophonist out of Chicago. Yes. And uh, and we had an awesome discussion about, uh, you know, the kind of music that turned him on and, and what he still plays today. Yeah. And and it's you really have to. Well, maybe that's as I was going to say, you really have to be immersed in a particular style to to really, you know, go with it. And yeah. I think Ken certainly was. I mean, when we talked about recordings, we talked about books. We talked a lot about Anthony Braxton and uh, and and uh, uh, a number of things like that. And of course, I checked out uh, a number of Ken's recordings and videos and things. And and he it really tw put a twist on my head after we talked because I I came out of that interview actually thinking about music a little differently than I had going in, but uh, and and so I have an appreciation for it, but yeah. there is something about. Uh, there's something about jazz that just, uh, uh, you know, uh, makes you feel good. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. And so, you know, I think, I think we're both uh, on the same wavelength there. We can't always express it. Well, words, even Thelonious Monk would say that talking about music is like dancing to architecture. <laughs> and so I try it. It's a little silly. <laughs> yeah. Well, the, the yeah. language is not adequate to really describe the complete musical experience. I think that's okay. so. Yeah. Well, well I'm going to ask you another question from your perspective, too. You know, sure. uh, music that's been labeled jazz, mm -hmm. uh, you know, has been around for well over a century now. And uh, it's had its ups and downs. It's had its uh, criticisms. It's had its, uh, you know, celebrations and so forth. It, I mean, it's it's been all over the spectrum. And it's probably accurate to say that jazz is not central to American popular music today. It's not America's popular music. Certainly right. there's some jazz influenced pop music and so forth. But jazz itself or swing music itself is not at the center uh like it was in the 20s and the 30s and the 40s <laughs> so my question for you as a as a jazz musician and living in a really rich environment uh uh you know being around lots and lots of uh, musicians uh why and how has jazz been able to sustain itself over the past century Hmm. Yeah, um, I think you're right that it's not the sort of popular music that is on the radio that's, you know, top 40. Certainly, that's not the case. Right. What is very special about jazz is that you need a, a lot of people to make it happen. Um, you know, maybe let's call the smallest group possible a trio if we're talking in a traditional sense, right? Um, and for an audience, it's really incredible to watch a trio perform. It's mm -hmm. three people um, with three very different looking instruments. Let's say it's piano, bass, and drums. And they're interacting with each other and they're communicating with each other and they're responding to each other. And to just see that and, and also hear what comes out of it is an incredibly special experience. Mm -hmm. And then on top of that, let's add some horns and that's even more of a dynamic experience. And on top of that, you're going to add a singer and that now you have a story, something you can really latch on to. So I think that it is a, um, you know, it's such a human experience to mm -hmm. make and listen to jazz that 
I have to trust and have to believe that that will always be something that people are interested in. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think that when you expose young people to jazz, they also realize how cool it is. You know, it's, Mm -hmm. it's, it's like the coolest thing ever to, Mm -hmm. to, uh, to listen to. And, and, and truly like, it's, it's such a, um, such an opportunity to express yourself. And that could be in so many different ways, but I think that, you know, I do concerts in schools um, mm-hmm. through Jazz at Lincoln Center where we go into schools and uh, present the music and the kids love it, mm-hmm. you know? And yeah, they also love it because they're out of class for an hour, fair. But um, but we, you know, I bring in a band and we just make the music really fun and really um, upbeat and showcase each person playing their instrument and they're just absolutely into it. And so... I think the more that we can hand, you know, how can we share the music with people and the public in a way that feels inviting, that feels um, non-pretentious, that feels welcoming so that people can just come in and enjoy without Mm -hmm. really needing to know what's happening, right? Mm -hmm. You don't need to get into the nitty gritty. You can just sit here and enjoy it. Right. And just have a good time. Mm-hmm. And I think that, sure, if people want to understand more, great, fantastic. Mm-hmm. But that, you know, you don't actually have to understand it in order to enjoy it. And so right. I think just taking it out of this, um, you know, museum thing, or I don't know what, really what to call it, but this sort of mm-hmm. on a tower and it's inaccessible and I don't really understand. And like, why do the notes sound like that? And what the hell's going on? And just making it more into something where, hey, we're going to create something, just come hang out, have a drink. And, you know, people just, I, I have just seen rooms change because of it. And so mm-hmm. I think that that's so powerful and timeless. You know, I think that's mm-hmm. just be the case forever. As long as people are willing to play instruments and pay for tickets, as long yeah. as those things are happening, we'll be fine. You know, sure. Like, sure. There's, a, there's such a rich, I mean, the venues are, are, are packed, you know, that's I mean, that's great. That's, true right people are very interested in listening to the music and Mm -hmm. um you know a huge compliment that i get when i play with my septet is like i didn't know i really liked jazz or i didn't really know what jazz was and i love this it's like oh great we're doing our job well you Mm -hmm. know just make Mm -hmm. it where you can just come and enjoy you know it sounds it sounds like that's right up right up my alley i used to teach jazz history and appreciation and 99 and 9 tenths percent of the students that would come to my classroom either had not really listened to jazz, knew what jazz was, or had a false perception of what it was. Sure. Yeah. And, uh, and I loved, loved leading them around and saying, no, this is what it is. And so mm-hmm. like, you know, and a lot of times what I would do, I, uh, I would have uh, to kind of get them. Uh, uh, I would take one of my Jamie Abersold CDs. Mm-hmm. with just the rhythm section. Mm-hmm. And of course you can separate the channels so that you can just hear. I said, okay, just listen to what the bass player is doing. You know, yeah. just listen to that, focus on that. And now let's switch. Now listen to what the, the piano player and the drummer are doing, you know, yeah. now let's put on a regular, and I put on a regular recording, like, a, a, you know, a Sonny Stitt quartet record or something. And I said, okay, this time, when you listen to this, focus on, uh, each of the individual instruments and I mean, really make yourself listen. Yeah. And that, you know, when you get people to really listen, that's when they get turned on. Totally. 
Totally, you because know? each instrument, what they're doing is incredible. Yes, it's, it is. It's unbelievable. And so to, yeah, just to, just to be exposed to it, I think is such a special thing. And mm -hmm. you know, at, at any stage of life, I think it's just, it's, it's wonderful. So I think that'll never really go out of style. That's, yeah. that's what I have to hope. <laughs> well, I think jazz too is, is a constantly evolving music. Absolutely. I mean, I just discovered a new group a couple of days ago. A couple of days ago, they're out of the UK, mm. uh, called the Ezra Collective, mm. and very interesting sounds. It kind of combines some jazz elements, hip hop elements, uh, uh, you know, that kind of things, or or even like I, I kind of I dig uh, what uh, like Robert Glasper is doing. You know, okay. just finding new new ways to to. Uh, to create music. So I think it's constantly evolving and, mm -hmm. and drawing upon other things. So, yeah, I think, I think it'll still live. I, I, I'm not co too concerned about its demise. I know on my own local level, yes. I'm fighting like heck. We finally had a club open up mm. in uh, Waukesha where I live, Waukesha, Wisconsin, and they are open to having jazz. And I said, oh, that's fantastic. I said, I said, listen, I told them about my eight piece. So anyway, we're booked in there to play the end of January. And, and then I also, because I love New Orleans uh, brass bands, mm -hmm. I also, I have a New Orleans brass band. And so I was talking to him the other day and I said, now, uh, have you got any music booked for Mardi Gras? Mm. You know, so anyway, I'm trying, what I'm trying to do is get my foot in the door at this club here in my own town to have jazz on a regular basis. As yeah. it is now, I very often I have to go into Milwaukee, uh, of course, which is a larger city or go to yeah. Madison, which is also a larger city in the other direction. But uh, if I uh, could get something going here in my own town, I wouldn't have to schlep my gear quite so far. But, yeah, <laughs> no, it's, it's good for everybody, right? I mean, like. Uh, because people in your town also don't want to schlep. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I hear you. Hear great music, you know. So you. it's anything local is fantastic. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's talk more about a kind of a practical situation. Uh, what are the major challenges of being a jazz artist in the 21st century? Um, there is. I mean, money is always a thing. Um, okay. It's a, it's very expensive to make records. Mm -hmm. Um we're talking 12 to $14,000 to make a decent sounding record, you know, um, paying everyone well and, you know, mm -hmm. making that. And you're probably not going to, you, you might eventually have that come back, but there's no guarantee. Right. So record record deals are not, you know, anything like they used to be where you have a guarantee. I mean, certainly if you're a very successful jazz musician and you have a label backing you, that's a different story where, perhaps they're funding it. But if you're not one of those people kind of like me, you're just paying out of pocket for stuff. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that can be a struggle. I think there's ways, you know, that's the very like old school mentality of I'm going to make a record and release it and sell it. Right. I think there are so many different ways around that. And so I think you just have to be creative and think of, I mean, there's so many ways to do this thing. Um, so what's worked well for me is playing in a lot of different bands, playing a lot of different styles of music in addition to jazz. Um, and, you know, just keeping keeping my foot on the gas in every way I can and just trying to hit, hit from different angles, you know? Um, mm -hmm. So, you know, having 
both sideman work and band leader work is really helpful because my sideman pay helps pay for the band leading stuff. Sure. And so it kind of works out. Um, but yeah, I think, I think that can be a struggle. Um, I mean, I think all of it's sort of hard, mm-hmm. you know, just, I think that's just true. Um, and that the thing that keeps us going is being able to play the music, but I think all the other stuff surrounding it is quite difficult and taxing. And, um, you know, I think that became pretty clear during the pandemic. I think when everyone kind of had a moment to catch their breath and we're like, whoa, what have we been doing? Um, so yeah, I think just taking care of yourself when you're on the road, for example, you know, early, you know, late getting into the hotel late, leaving really early, all of that sort of stuff. But to be frank with you, I haven't had the, the world's hardest time. I mean, okay. I, life's, life's pretty good. Um, mm-hmm. And so, you know, of course, you, you always want to get paid more. I also do think that it's our responsibility as musicians to insist that we are paid more, right? Mm-hmm. And to mm-hmm. negotiate and to just say no when it's not enough. And so mm-hmm. just getting more comfortable with that as I'm getting older, you know, mm-hmm. if, you know, picking my battles. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think uh, it's, it's always, it's always complicated and, um, but always really rewarding. So mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't feel like I'm being very coherent, but <laughs> there's well, you, struggle you, and, you know, a bunch of things that you can do about it. I think that's the other aspect mm-hmm. of it. It's like there, because we are freelance people there, you know, no one's kind of checking in with you. Hey, what's happening with this or what's happening with this. It's really up to you to make your world how it is. And so I could sit here and say, boohoo, it all is hard. Mm-hmm. That's true. But I also think that we have a ton of power as well and can make decisions that work better for us. I think, I think that you hit the nail on the head. A lot of it's attitude. Yeah, totally. I mean, you know, you, like I said, you could sit there and, and boohoo and cry in your beer, but that isn't going to benefit you or yeah. any, anybody else. But you can also have a positive attitude about it say, Hey, look what I'm doing here. I'm here and here and here and here and here. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's great that, you know, we, you know, I, I would always tell kids, I says, you know, it's when you play music, you have uh, an opportunity to do something that most people don't do. Yeah. And I said, that doesn't make you elite, but it does make you kind of a special person to be able to contribute to our culture and society in that way. And, 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 you know, you can do that, but I think you're right. That probably the, you know, the one thing I hear that you talking about that's uh, kind of echoing with me is the is the time, you you know, you've got to have time to practice, you've got to have time to take care of yeah. your music. But then you've got all this other stuff, maintaining a website, hustling gigs, all that other kind of thing that you always feel like you're pulled, you know, away from. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and that's that's a challenge that we have today that we didn't have 50 years ago or 40 years ago or even 30 years ago. Yeah. You know, there are so I think I'm just I'm maybe I, I, I'm not talking out of school here, but I think there's some wonderful labels out there that really are trying to help musicians. Yeah. I'm thinking outside of music 
is a label that I Nick Finzer's uh, yeah, uh, my first record. Um, yeah, they're amazing. Yeah, I think you know, and and the work that Nick and Alan are doing over there and their philosophy of of how they work with artists and so forth. I mean, of course, they're coming at it from experience of you know being musicians and players themselves they're not just uh, record executives so to speak mm -hmm. uh i think another label that i admire that seems to be doing a lot for uh artists is positone out in la mm -hmm. and uh, i've had a, a conversation with mark free who's the head of positone i love his philosophy of of what he's trying to produce with that label and the artists and so forth. Yeah. But, you know, when it comes right down to it, I know like I, I recorded an album with my group and I'm still waiting for my first $20 check from Spotify. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Which I mean, probably never it's, see, but it's, it's a brutal, I mean, the streaming situation is just brutal. Oh yeah. It's yeah. Not, I mean, what I think what, is clear to me is that recorded music is very helpful to get your stuff out there for you to, you know, gain an audience for, you know, you can't be everywhere all at once, but you can put your music on the internet and that's helpful, but right. that like money is being made from performances, you mm -hmm. know? Yeah. And so it's that sort of balance where, because I perform, I can make a record and then mm -hmm. I performing and make another record. Right. And like right. that's the, that's the flow. And, you know, I think maybe that's always been true, but that definitely feels like the case now. Well, I think it, 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 you know, I can remember years and years ago that the idea was that you toured to promote your recordings and where you really yeah. made your money was on recordings, right. but that's flipped now that we've got streaming services and, and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Well, well, anyways, let's uh, switch, switch gears kind of to uh, more about your creativity. Would you talk about your various uh, approaches uh, to the elements of music as a jazz performer and composer? Uh, and 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 then I also want you to kind of think about the last piece that you, original piece that you wrote. And what came first, uh, a melody, a melodic idea, a rhythmic idea? a particular set of chord changes or if you had lyrics to work with or particular mood. What I'm really interested in, Mariel, is your creative process. Sure. Yeah. So as an arranger, maybe I'll start there because that's okay. what I've done the most. Um, as an arranger, I really enjoy going down rabbit holes of, you know, I hear a song and I fall in love with it. And then I am really interested in who wrote it and what else they did and what versions are out there and where did it come from and where was their inspiration and how can I kind of like mush all those things together into an arrangement that feels um, like a sort of different take on it or from a different perspective. Um, and so that is really fun for me to be able to kind of take those things and put them together in that way. Um, so that's my arrangement style. And then, I mean, in terms of like harmony and voicings and things, I mean, I, I'm figuring it out. I feel like I'm just, I often am just throwing stuff on walls and see, seeing what sticks. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, I have recently started studying piano, which has been incredibly helpful. Um, you know, people have told me for years and years and years, Mariel, are you learning piano? And I would say no. And they say, okay, well, you really need to start if you want to understand harmony. And 
because as a trombone player, you only have one note at a time. And so I felt very intimidated and confused about harmony and chords and progressions and like all of, all of that sort of stuff. Um, and so I started taking piano lessons with my friend, John, who is an amazing piano player. And we went to school together and that really has been so helpful with just understanding piano and how things are structured. And that leads me into the composing stuff. So mm -hmm. I think using piano as a tool, as a composition tool has been the biggest game changer for me just because I have everything in front of me, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so like the latest song I composed was, I was just practicing piano and like practicing um, different progressions and just mm -hmm. found something that I really liked and kind of kept going with it. And then all of a sudden I had like an A section. It's like, cool. And that mm -hmm. was just, before, mm -hmm. that was um, just starting out from just having a chord progression. And then from there I would just sing and be like, okay, what, what sounds good here? And where, you know, what melody comes to mind. And then I just kind of keep that going and, and refine it and go back and refine it and go back and refine it. Mm -hmm. um, so that's sort of my process. Um, okay. Yeah, as an improviser, I'm just always concerned about melody. It's sort of okay. the, is the biggest thing. I think that's my strength. Um, I, you know, there's so much um, information that you can work with. And I'm, you know, I've been practicing a lot more like vocabulary stuff and practicing a lot more Charlie Parker things and just working on vocabulary um, much more than in the past. But yeah, my my general improv improvisation style is just just as melodic as possible, sort of the okay. goal. Um, so that keeps getting refined. I mean, I'm, I'm excited. I've been taking lessons again. So piano lessons, but then also like improvisation lessons with my mm -hmm. friend Harris, who's an amazing trumpet player. Mm -hmm. And he's just been kicking my ass and that's been so helpful <laughs> for him to be like, Mary, you need, you know, you need to check out these recordings and transcribe this and do that. And so, mm -hmm. um, that's been incredibly helpful and really inspiring to just kind of keep, keep all of that going. Um, I think when you start to just play a bunch of gigs and maybe you're practicing in, in order to maintain, but not necessarily like keeping learning new stuff. Um, so that's really kept me on track. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that's, that's the thing, you know, every time you turn the corner, there's some, some player that you've never heard of that's just cutting it, you know, I mean, and you're going, oh, wow, I got to learn how to do that. Sure. Yeah. sure. yeah. So it's so helpful. I mean, it's just this constant, I mean, being in New York, I'm just surrounded by constant inspiration. Yeah. It's like, okay, what can I do to just keep, <laughs> keep up? Because there's so, so many amazing, amazing musicians. And, oh yeah. And so much I, amazing music to learn, you know, it's just like, if I'm better then I can make the music better great mm -hmm, yeah mm -hmm. yeah it, it, what you're talking about it reminds me when i was in music school i i, I did my graduate degrees at the university of north texas and there were like 1400 music majors on campus oh. so i mean it's like you'd walk down the halls of the music building and it's you Amazing. know I, I can remember when i was studying conducting and i had to put together my own uh uh small wind ensemble for a conducting uh assignment and it was 
I just knew where to stand and I'd see somebody walk by and I say, Hey, do you play bassoon? Yeah. Would you like to play in my group? Blah, 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 blah. You know, that kind of thing. And being in that environment, uh, just being around a lot of other really good musicians is, uh, is of course beneficial to you. Well, let me kind of switch gears. Uh, what advice would you give to uh, a student or a young person who is aspiring toward a career in music? Sure. Um, there's a there's some a different there's a couple different facets of of advice. So I'll start with musically. Um, I think um, just becoming really excellent at your instrument technically, um, and that could be in all sorts of different ways. But just being really proficient at playing your instrument, proficient at reading music on your instrument um, depends on what sort of music you want to play. But listening listening to as much music as you can. Uh, particularly the stuff you love. <laughs> Just like listen to as much music as possible. And I think that advice stands true for your whole life, but whatever. Um, we're talking about a young musician. So just listen really, um, you know, just have music on all the time as much as possible and just listen, listen, listen. Um, and then try to figure it out, right? Like try to figure out, okay, you love that song. Why does it sound like that? Do you want to learn some of it? Maybe you want to transcribe a solo on it or figure out the melody or figure out the chords on a piano and just like stay curious about what are the things that you like about that thing. Um, and I feel like the more that kind of builds up, you'll get a real sense of what you like and what you don't like and what you're interested in. Um, and then kind of backing that up with being able to play your instrument really well. Like that's mm -hmm. sort of and then getting a mentor, someone you can look up to who can help you. You can ask questions. Um, surrounding yourself with other musicians, also surrounding yourself with other non-musicians so that you're not just like in a musician tunnel. Yeah. You don't want to be just one dimensional. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Just, you know, staying, staying curious about all sorts of things, I think is, mm -hmm. I, I mean, I, I feel like that uh, should be the case for everyone's life always, but just, mm -hmm. especially as you're young, just figuring out, you know, what is it that I'm interested in and what are these people into and what can I learn here and mm -hmm. all of that. Mm -hmm. Um, I think understanding as a young person that, um, you're gonna make a ton of mistakes and that that's okay is, um, just a helpful reminder. Um, and that it's okay when you don't know something, you know, exactly. I, had a, I had a really hard time kind of getting over that in college. Mm -hmm. I definitely didn't get as much out of my college experience because I was pretty, um, nervous to ask questions because it would reveal how little I knew about something. And I think that that was a bit of a loss, you know, to my education. And um, I'm doing a lot of work now to learn the things that I didn't learn back then, because I wasn't willing to say, I actually have no idea what you're talking about. Can you back up? Mm -hmm. Can we start mm -hmm. over? Um, you sound like you could have been in my classroom. Totally. And so just, you know, going slow. And I think mm -hmm. what's tricky now is that there you know, I, I just said, listen to as much music as you can. So I think that's true. But also we, we do have such a huge amount of access to so many, so much music that I think it can be hard to kind of focus on one thing. Um, so mm -hmm. it could be helpful also, you know, just very practical advice for a musician is just like pick a couple albums and just play those again and again, you know, just mm -hmm. a couple things. Cause I think we can get really oversaturated as well. Um, okay. So that's the, my, would be my advice on like the music end. Mm -hmm. On the professional end, it's pretty simple stuff. Like be reliable, like what I said before, be reliable, be on time, be professional. Um, I've gotten a ton of gigs 
because I'm a nice person to be around. I just mm-hmm. know that that's true. I'm not the best trombone player in New York. I'm not, mm-hmm. but I'm really nice to be around. And so I'm able to get work because people are just happy to have me be a part of their thing. Um, so just being yourself, but like mm-hmm. a great version of that. Um, and yeah, being prepared, knowing, knowing the music, you know, listening to if a band leader is calling you, check out their music. If they sent you charts, practice them. Um, just anything that you can do to be prepared because it's kind of crazy how many people don't do that. Right. So if you do do that, you're actually kind of in a, you're setting yourself apart from the others. Sure. Um, so that's, I mean, I could talk about different things, but all day, but I think that that's the thing. And then also just noticing, you know, in what musical situations are you the happiest where mm-hmm. you're really loving it? Um, Cause I think it's important to find the things that you really love and continue to show up for those. And then if there's something or an environment that really doesn't work for you, you don't have to be there. You know, that's okay. It's okay mm-hmm. for you not to do everything. It's okay to find certain things and just focus on that. So, um, and then really take care of yourself. I mean, mm-hmm. I don't think, uh, I think there's so much more awareness about this now than there used to be in mm-hmm. terms of mental health and also your physical health <laughs> and, and all of that, but just, you know, getting enough sleep and <laughs> drinking water and, you know, all of that and taking time to not think about music for a while. I think it can feel so competitive and so anxiety inducing, um, to be mm-hmm. a musician and to be constantly comparing yourself to others. And just as much as you can, um, not go down that rabbit hole when it can be avoided is helpful because, you know, it's, it's amazing that we get to play music. And the reality is that no one sounds like you do. Right. And no one yep. sounds like they do. And so it's just this it's special thing where you can really get into the thing that you're into. So, uh, that's yeah, that's a good overview. That, that, those are pearls of wisdom, I'll tell you. And yeah. I, I couldn't agree with you more. I think that, uh, you know, uh, music is wonderful. Uh, music is is my life, but it's not the only thing in my life. Yeah. I mean, I would say, you know, after it, it it's something I probably, uh, I love more than a lot of other things that I do, you know, but I still have a dog that I think I love more than I love music. And I have a wife that I certainly love more than I love music. Uh, And, uh, and I have other interests uh, that I enjoy. And I enjoy a whole, I like the name of my podcast. I enjoy a whole universe of music because there isn't anything I don't like or try to approach or appreciate. And I, I sometimes think that, that people forget that they get so wrapped up into being so hardcore about, you know, about being a musician, but you also hit on a real gem. And I I just want to emphasize this because I do have uh, a number of younger listeners, Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, not a huge number, but I think a pretty significant percentage of my listeners are younger, which I, I mean, and so, you know, the idea is, remember, it's a job just like any other job. And you want to make sure that you are the kind of person that somebody wants to call back and work with again. Yep. And maybe they would even compromise getting someone who's a better player than you if you're a nicer, more on time, take care of business and and not create a lot of BS type totally. person. Totally. And uh, I think that those are those are some real gems that you're offering. 
Yeah. I, I know some excellent musicians that are unhirable because mm -hmm. they are either such a pain in the ass to be around or they're so unreliable or right. And you just don't want to be that person. And I know those people and they are some of the best musicians I've ever heard, mm -hmm. but I can't hire them. And that's yeah. a loss, right? It's a loss for everybody, Yeah. but it's, it's just what it is, you know? And so I just think any way you can avoid that, do that. <laughs> you know, when, when I used to give out scholarships at, or talent awards, as I used to call them at the university, I, I would, I would tell students, I said, I don't give talent awards for the first semester that you're here. You will earn it for your second and subsequent semesters. I said, because what I don't need is a prima donna. What I need is someone who can be a, team player and contribute to the organization and if you can show me that you can do that then i'm going to help you with your tuition yeah you know what i mean so that's excellent excellent words of advice mariel thank you uh i'm curious to know if i if i were to be able to magically come to new york uh in the next few days or the next few weeks where can i hear you play sure um tonight i'm playing at cellar dog with my quartet um so that's the old fat cat in the village so that'll be uh, oh, okay. tonight. And then I'm actually going to be out of town the next few days with some friends going on a little trip. And I'll be back um, on Tuesday to play at Dizzy's at Jazz Lincoln Center. And that's with um, one of my very favorite people and mentors, Frank Lacey. He's an amazing trombone player. Uh -huh. um, he has a group called the Trombone Verse, And it's eight trombones plus a rhythm section. It's sort oh. of... Cool. Sort of like the slide, slide Hampton world of trombones thing. Yes. Um, and so we'll play at Dizzy's on Tuesday. And then what else is happening? Um, I would have to look at my calendar. Let's see. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, uh, yeah. So that's this week. Um, and then I'm doing some recording sessions and different things. And then I'll be at Birdland on Sunday, the 18th. Um, with a singer named Svetlana and her big band oh. and playing in Arturo O'Farrell's Afro-Latin Jazz Orchestra after that at Birdland. Um, oh, how cool. Yeah. And that's an awesome group. I it love, is. I love that group. Yeah. Yeah. So I play lead trombone for them uh -huh. um, and yeah, so we'll be there on Sunday. Well, that's wonderful. Well, I'm not coming to New York in the next few days or the next few weeks because of the holidays, but I keep telling my wife, I said, you know, we got to go to New York and and, and do uh, let me know do let me know when you come oh i certainly will i've yeah. i've i you know i i will will do that because i'd love to hear you play and i uh uh i interviewed uh nicole zaratis a few weeks ago and and of course she's the vocalist with the birdland big band it's amazing and and so she said, yeah, anytime you want to come on in, you know, let me know. It's, so I, I I definitely will do that. But uh, we my wife and I, we also love opera. So we we watch the Met on uh, HD. And I said, yeah, we got to go to New York. We got to go to the Met. We got to maybe catch a Broadway show, we'll go to some okay. great jazz clubs, you know, and yeah. eat some great pizza and, and pastrami and, you know, all those kind yeah. of things you get in New York, you yeah. know. No, it's, it's such a special place. There's oh, such a range of things you can get into. So yeah, please. I agree. I haven't been to New York. I haven't been to New York since the mid seventies, mid to late seventies. Wow. Okay. Like well, last, yeah, I'm sure it has. The last jazz club I was in, in New York was Buddy's place when <laughs> Buddy Rich had, had, had his club and I went to hear Buddy Rich play. Uh, but that's been quite a while ago. Cool. And, where, uh, where was that club? 
Where was it? Do you remember? Yeah. I think, I think it was on Broadway. Okay. But I'm not sure. I'll look it up. Yeah, I'm curious where that you. And it was in the basement of a restaurant called Two (laughs) Bulls something or other. I don't remember now. But uh, Buddy's Place. And uh, I think that was the last uh, club that I've I've been in. But, you know, I've got all these other wonderful places like you talked about uh, in the village, uh, yeah. you know, like the Vanguard and, and all yeah. these other things that I've always watched from afar because I always loved the Thad Jones, Mel Lewis big band. And I remember the first time I ever heard them, they were on a it was on PBS and they were, they were broadcasting one of their gigs from, from the Vanguard on PBS. And I was going, Oh, this is an awesome band, but plenty to do in New York. Well, I, you know, we could talk about that forever, but I want to just get to uh, uh, a couple, just two more questions and then, uh, and then we'll wrap things up. Cause uh, if you've got a gig tonight, you're going to want to make sure and be well rested and well hydrated and, and well (laughs) ready, ready to go. Um, your debut album was mm-hmm. released in 2020. Yep. And I learned about you from a recording you played on with uh, Roxy Koss, mm-hmm. who yeah. I interviewed some time ago. And so my question for you, do you have any new recording projects planned or in the works? And if so, what can you tell tell us about your upcoming projects? Yes. So I just went into the studio actually on this Tuesday. So like three days ago um, with my septet. So it's four horns and a rhythm section. And Uh um, the goal was to film some videos, but also it was in a recording studio. So we got great sound. Um, So I will release those probably as singles, sort of like as they are ready. Uh Um, And it'll be called the Mariel Bilston septet. Um, so those are forthcoming. I'm super excited. The band is amazing. And I've been listening to takes today to pick which ones, um, mm-hmm. we should mix and it's just sounding so good. So good. Be excited about that. Um, you'll see video and audio soon. So Wonderful. hopefully in the next month, I feel like we'll have some stuff to show. Um, yeah. So that's what I've been working on. Very cool. Very cool. And, uh, you know, I really liked your playing with Roxy as well, and yeah, I and amazing. I love and I loved uh, talking with Roxy. She's a great person, really as is. as a great musician. And uh, you've got some, I know, some excellent videos on YouTube that uh, I enjoyed very much hearing you play uh, with Roxy. So that's that's awesome, and I'm glad to hear you got some new recordings going. Yeah, and I'll look forward to those uh, those septet uh, recordings. Yeah, thanks. I'll, I'll make sure to send them to you. Well, that, that'd be fine. That'd be great. I, I, you know, I have an octet. Mm. I use uh, I use two trumpets, uh, tenor, barry, and trombone in my horn section <laughs> plus rhythm section, and uh, and uh, we were called Horns H O R N Z Z. That's the name of the band, oh. and uh, and. Uh, so uh, we have a lot of fun and I've had some uh, people that have been, uh, you know, very, very supportive and, and it's a, uh, it's uh, kind of a, kind of a gas, but like I said, I'm still waiting for that first $20 check from Spotify. I understand. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, but what's cool is my non-musician friends, I say, Oh yeah, I'm on Spotify. Cause you know, you can go there and they'll have a picture of the band and there I am. And they all yeah. go, Ooh, ah, you know, <laughs> anyway. Well, that's great. But Mariel, is there anything else you'd like to add or tell my audience that I haven't asked you about? 
I don't think so. You've been so thorough. I'm really grateful that we got to chat today. So oh, thank you. Well, I try to be thorough. I mean, that's the professor in me, you yeah. know, and ask, try to ask uh, good questions and be thorough. But, you know, I also know that uh, I'm, I'm, I'm not uh, perfect. And if I've missed anything, I don't want to sweep anything under the carpet because I want to be able to promote you and your work as best I can in my own way. So, so that's why I always ask that question, but, so uh, but anyway, I want to uh, thank you for taking time to talk with me today. And I want to wish you all the best with what I'm sure is going to be a continued mu uh, successful musical future. Thank you so much. And thank you for such great questions and a great conversation. Really appreciate it. It was fun. You... My discovery composer of the week is the Austro-French composer, music publisher, and piano maker, Ignaz Joseph Pleil. Born in 1757, died in 1831. Pleil founded a major publishing house at a piano factory, and his compositions achieved widespread popularity in Europe and North America. He is said to have studied with von Hall while very young, and in about 1772 he became Haydn's pupil and lodger in Eisenstadt. During this period, Pleil's puppet opera, Die Vieh was first performed at Esterhaza and at the Vienna National Theater. Haydn's was also performed in 1776 or 1777 with an overture, or at least its first two movements, now generally accepted as being by Pleil. Pleil's first position seems to have been as Kapellmeister to Count Erdödi, but again, that period of his career is undocumented. Pleil's string quartets, Opus 1, are dedicated to Count Erdödi for his generosity, paternal solicitude, and encouragement. During the early 1780s, Pleil traveled in Italy. Pleil was asked to compose Lyra, or hurdy-gurdy, pieces for performance by Ferdinand IV of Naples. Two of Pleil's works for the hurdy-gurdy survive in autographs. In 1784, Pleil's opera, Iphigenia in Alid, had its premiere at the San Carlo Theater on the King's name day. Meanwhile, probably in 1784, Pleil had become assistant to F.X. Richter, Kapellmeister of Strasbourg Cathedral, and he succeeded to the post when Richter died in 1789. From 1786, he also conducted and organized a series of public concerts in co collaboration with J.P. Schoenfeld, Kapellmeister of the Strasbourg Temple Neuf. On January 22, 1788, he married Franziska Gabrielle Lefebvre. The Strasbourg period was Pleil's most productive musically. Most of his compositions date from the years 1787 to 1795. The revolution having abolished the cathedral's religious functions and the city's secular concerts, Pleil accepted an invitation to conduct the professional concert in London, 
and stayed there from, from December 1791 until May of 1792. Pleyel's concerts were well attended and his compositions were highly praised in the press. During Pleyel's London stay, George Thompson of Edinburgh asked him to compose the introduction and accompaniments for a series of Scottish airs and to write a set of piano trios. After returning to the continent, Pleyel bought the large Chateau d'Ittenwiller at Saint-Pierre near Strasbourg. Early in 1795, Pleyel settled in Paris opened a music shop, and founded a publishing house which issued some 4,000 works during the 39 years it existed. The most important achievement of the Maison Pleyel was probably its issue of the first miniature scores, a series entitled Bibliothèque Musicale. In 1805, Pleyel traveled to Vienna, where his string quartets were warmly received. He also paid several visits to the aging Haydn. He and his son heard Beethoven play the piano and were greatly impressed by his brilliant improvisational technique. But one of the primary reasons for the visit, the establishment of a branch publishing office, failed despite the support of local friends. During the 1820s, Pleyel indulged his love of rural life by spending increasing amounts of time on a large farm about 50 kilometers from Paris. In 1834, the Maison Pleyel ceased its publishing activities entirely, selling its stock of plates and printed works to various Paris publishers. The All Music Guide lists over 100 recordings of Pleyel's chamber works one recording of his Requiem, 16 recordings of his Concerti, 17 recordings of his work for keyboard, 19 recordings of his symphonies, two recordings of other orchestral works, and three recordings of compositions for voice with accompaniment. In my show notes is a link to a YouTube video of a performance of Pleyel's Grand Duo for Violin and Viola, performed by Duo Licht. That wraps episode number 122. My show notes along with links to artists' websites, recording label websites, YouTube videos of artists' performances are all posted on my Facebook page, The Musical Universe of Professor Hurst. Next week, I'll be interviewing baritone saxophonist Andrew Hadro. We plan on talking a lot about the baritone saxophone as well as his current work as a performer. Other upcoming interviews include another Barry player, Carl Maragi, Jeff Schradel and Jeff Taylor of Milwaukee's own Altered Five Blues Band, blues singer-songwriter and author Reverend Sean Amos, and Chattanooga, Tennessee-based Americana country singer-songwriter Rachel McIntyre-Smith. So don't touch that dial. If you have questions, comments, or a suggestion of an artist, composer, or musical style for me to consider, 
you may email me at h-u-r-s-t-c at u-w-m dot e-d-u. So, until next time, this is Professor Craig W. Hurst and Carmel the Wonder Dog signing off from the musical universe of Professor Hurst. Have a great day.